Welcome everybody to the MXU podcast. I'm just doing that printly. Oh my god, are we starting this? We're starting. Zach, shut up, man. Listen. I love Jeremy it. and I are diehard dog fans. I'm sorry to all, all right. of you out there that don't. All right, let don't me care say this. Don't know. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this is gonna air. We will just let's just make sure that this does not air on Monday, Jeff. Uh, let's make sure this airs on Tuesday. What if the dogs oh, lose? No, what are no, y'all gonna no, you, do? You, you can't. Talk it could happen. That. I'm still a dog fan at the end of the day. That's right. And life is good. I mean, that's right. It's so fun to be a dog fan right now. And it's so Zach, fun I'm, to make fun of y'all. That's the only reason I do it. I literally <laughs> send group texts just to get Bagwell fired up. And, yeah, and he, it works every it. time. Every it time. does. Every time. And then I'll, I'll send a response text and I'm like, oh, he's just doing that. Oh, yeah. I fall for it every time. Every time. So, can anyway, we just talk about Happy New Year, everyone. Yeah, Happy New Year. Hope you had a Merry happy Christmas. We're back. It's a new year. Yeah, I don't What's know uh, if it's episode 13. I don't know if that got heard under Rusty's celebration <laughs> noise. So episode 13, Happy New Year. Um, what have what have you guys been up to? I know on December 31st, I got to watch uh, the new year come in with the dogs beating Ohio State barely. <laughs> so that was a fun. Yeah, I lost my Maybe mind. Maybe they gave us the win. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Maybe yeah, exactly. It. But we it was got, a great day of football. Really that is for yeah. sure. Uh, for sure. Um but uh, Rusty, you just had a big thing happen uh, last week or this week. Yeah, I did. We just finished uh, Passion Conference, which was it was a great time this year. This year was a little different. We did two different events: one in Dallas, one in Atlanta. Um, it's been a while since we've done that. We've done the you know big stadium like Mercedes Benz or Georgia Dome, or we've done the you know three or four venues all at the same time linked together. But it's been a while since we've done. Um, you know, done a conference and then a week later done it again. So hmm. it was a good time. It was a really, um, I think this is going to sound sappy. Uh, and as I get older, I probably get sappier, but uh, the more I do it, older I get, the, I still love the creative part of it. And I still love the live event and do a show and make it creative, make it amazing. Um, but the more I do it, the more the people are important to me and the team that I get to be a part of and the people there that are pulling this thing off at Passion City Church and that really the, me as a video director, I get to interact with a ton of um, door holders or volunteers that uh, that serve at it, and these are people that you know go to Passion City Church and they're they're chefs or they are computer programmers or they do any number of things throughout the week, but they take off time to to serve at conference and um, to uh, be part of the camera team and the production team in general. I mean, there's so many spots that have to get filled, so we're digging deep into the door holder pool. But I mean that. That's a lot, and just because I've done a, done several, I mean, we could probably do a podcast episode debriefing passion. That would probably be a good one. I feel like between the three of us, yeah, we could uh, could spill the beans on on what all goes behind it. Because I think that that's probably something that a lot of people don't realize is the amount of people that it takes to pull that off. There's a small army for sure. Yeah, and it's um, the attitude of serving. It's the you know, like I'm sitting there. And, um, I've had different roles in different times, but like for a volunteer who's, um, just a production assistant and they're printing off planning center sheets and like, they just show up and they give me a planning center sheet and they're just happy to be there and happy to serve. So the culture of that is, uh, I don't know if a lot of people know that, but that's what's impressive about that event. Um, they do a lot of cool things, but they're just amazing people that show up to serve Yeah, as part of it. Um, 
But it went so, well. So, I mean, I'll just do a really quick, some the questions that I always get, how many cameras, all that kind of stuff. So we had 15 cameras and that's a lot for an arena, but uh, it's because of the shape of the stage. When you, when you have a stage that's in the round and you have people facing, I don't know, 16 different directions that you have to have a lot of cameras in a lot of spots so you can cover the stages that you have to cover. So, uh, but it was a quick breakdown of, um, in Atlanta, we had four tripods, four dollies, four handheld cameras, two jibs and one steady cam. Shout out to our friend, Tony. Tony. Yes, who yeah. was uh, running Steadicam. I mean, just legit, I'd be looking at the multi-view. And when you're in the round, most likely no one's looking at any camera because they're just spinning around the stage and looking in different directions. And I would just, when in doubt, look at camera 14 because Tony's going to have some gold on there. So it's nice to have uh, a few uh, options like that to, to get to get you some good shots. But um, it was a great event. I think it's, it went really well this year. The team was great. It was um, super smooth. And... Um, I think a lot of life change happened in the room, which is always the goal and the, what the hope is and the prayer going into it. So super glad that I got to be part of it. And um, I slept very hard last night. <laughs> <laughs> how many How many volunteers on the video team? Like how many p- people were part of the video team? Do you know? Well, just camera wise, there were so 15 cameras plus six grips or cable bashers, uh, four directors and TDs, two shaders. So you can add all this up if you want. Yeah, there's, we need to do uh, There's a ton of spot ops. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah, yeah. We should do one. We'll get some other people to join in and give us some uh, some breakdown of it. Yeah, that's great. Um, the rig looked awesome. Uh, so if, I mean, obviously, you could just search or go on Instagram and see Passion 2023, and you'll see photos of it. The rig looked amazing, and there was a ton of LED all over the place. And I guess they were using disguise servers, drive content. Yep. All driven from. Uh, the lighting and LD world. tons of automation. I mean, yeah, they're using Notch, which is a plugin uh, in dis- in disguise uh, to do some really cool lyric treatments. So if you saw it, like our lyrics were animated on and off in real time. Um, Pro Presenter was just doing a normal thing, sending out a normal lyric, and then uh, the geniuses over at Passion and Disguise um, were able to like capture a frame from Pro Presenter and then animate it, and then animate it off. I, I, don't, I don't understand how they did it, but it was pretty I watched pretty it in awesome. real time, and I'm like, how is this happening? Well, we didn't have time to talk about it, but I'm glad I know now. Yep. Yes, wow. it looked awesome. Davis and Josh Otto and uh, Jonathan Lousey, this guy's super creative, and they're awesome. It's good. Zach, what you been up to? Well, I didn't work for a church this year during the Christmas season, so I haven't done much. Uh, it's very weird um to do a normal holiday uh, i shouldn't say normal but normal to the people that don't work in the church world uh, i actually ended up uh jared texted me and asked if i would come and run a camera for one of the christmas experiences elevation so i actually ran the jib wow come yeah. on okay can i watch okay. this can i see some footage of this no it's yeah. terrible no, they need <laughs> to get, that, that jib's a little old they need to give it some love but they're well aware of it uh it, it did a so really good it was the jib it was the jib problem the not an operator fault. problem yeah, in this case, it actually was because I'm oh, okay. not. I'm okay. not a terrible. I'm not a terrible jib off. I've been known to to run the jib a few times in the past, but uh, okay. it's time for that one to to be fully overhauled at least on the control side. Okay. Uh, so I know that. an integrator friend who. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> well, yeah. Bentley's Bentley and his crew are good enough. They don't need to. Yeah, need to call true. me to to get a jib replaced. Um, did that, and uh, then my family, for the first time ever, set in a Christmas experience together. 
um kim and the boys have done it in the past but we've never done it so that was that was a really cool moment uh for me to get taken to take my kids and experience that, especially after I, ser- I served and ran camera one night and then the next night we went. Um, but, it, you know, it's a totally different experience when you're just truly attending versus uh, operating something. So that was amazing. And then um, I sat on my couch and watched the ball drop for the first time in, I think, 15 years. Um, sat there. Wow. We all stayed up. And uh, it's different. Um you know, it's, it's well, cool. what have you been doing in the past 15 years? Were you an event or something? Well, before Elevation, I worked for a production company, so we always ah. were doing an event. And then Elevation, uh, every year it, up until this year, actually, they didn't do it, uh, did Praise Party, which was a New Year's Eve, uh, pretty much a big worship night, but went into mm-hmm. the new year. Um, so yeah, I was at, and if I wasn't there, I was doing the fashion gigs right. in the previous years, right? Uh, so actually my very first passion gig i did praise party we wrapped uh when the when i saw the confetti go off because i wanted to make sure that that happened i literally ran and got in my car to beat traffic out of the parking lot and i drove to atlanta um and that was my first passion experience drove there and the next morning started helping with load in so yeah i had a pretty chill uh pretty chill christmas it was nice i got with family uh, we all have kids of somewhat similar ages. I feel like Christmas yeah. right now, it's just like magical. So fun. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, my, my kids got a big kid. Uh, we got a big kid go-kart this t- time around. So you got a go-kart? Like, <laughs> well, no, it's not. It's I'll, I'll say it's mi- medium size. But yes, I could ride it, but I'm pretty squished. But they're, uh, yeah, we've we've torn up so much grass in our freaking property now it's just yeah but they love it but yes as they get older they just get more expensive it is very true yeah yeah so yeah it's been fun um i do have one comment zach uh mm-hmm. your your experience like in christmas for the first time uh i know there's a lot of church staff members that listen to this and also volunteers and just other people in general but um, I'm gonna put you on the spot, and if you don't have an answer, then Jeff can edit this out. But like, what would you say to that staff member? I I have my thoughts, but what do you, would you say to that staff member who's listening that like hasn't had that experience? Like, you don't know what you don't know mm-hmm. to experience it. So what what would you say to that church staff member about Christmas? This you that's what have you learned now, having not been a church staff member around Christmas? Yeah. Um, I think you have to find a balance. Um, number one, you need to be sitting in the worship experience, not just at Christmas, not just at Easter, but throughout the year. I was always bitter about that. You can ask anybody that worked for me. I was like, no, this is my job. I'm not supposed to sit in the worship experience. And that's one of my biggest regrets is not at least, I don't know, monthly even going and sitting with Kim in the worship experience. You got to get in there because what you're busting your tail for is is just as important for you as it is the people you're doing it for. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I think you need to always remember that this season is going to come every year and balance it out. And, and I know it, it's – I've been there. I, I did it for a long time because before I was on staff at Elevation – the company I worked for, we did all of Elevation's Christmas events before they started just had a big enough building. Um, so you just got to balance it. You got to, when you, you need to set time aside to be home and you need to be home. Um, 
not just for your family, but for yourself. And if you even need to take a break and go outside and walk around the building while you're at church to get away from people, just to keep from wanting to bite somebody's head off. Um, I wish I'd have done that a lot of times, uh, looking back on it now. Cause I, yeah. uh, just to be blunt, I became, I could become an asshole at Christmas and Easter. Um, cause we were stressed out because honestly, and I'll say it and I love all those creatives at elevation. We was always waiting on them to come up with some idea like, <laughs> Hey, Christmas been coming for 365 days. You know, what are we sitting around here yep. waiting on y'all for? You should have been pl- yep. programming this. That was my motto. And you can ask them like I said it every year, but it's yep. the truth. And so just know that going into it. Know it's going to be a busy yep. season. Know that it's going to be stressed out. Know that you're going to probably get something something delivered or some piece of information last minute and that's when it comes down to either you have a conversation say yeah we can do that or like no we're, we're not going to kill ourselves to do do that it's a cool idea let's pocket it and save it for something later so yeah i think that word would just be balance um, yeah balancing out everything for yourself and your family and your coworkers because they're just as important. You got to get along with your coworkers to get through that season. Cause if, if you hate who you work with, you're going to hate your job and you're just going to be bitter. And then when you go home, you're going to be bitter and it's just this big revolving thing. Yep. That's good. I, I'll add to that real quick. Um, cause we went to church, uh, Christmas Eve. And uh, so at passion, you usually on probably a lot of churches on normal Sunday, you send your kids to kids programming and then you go, to the auditorium or whatever for the main gathering. But at Christmas Eve, the whole family goes in. And so we're sitting there with our two oldest kids in church together. And it, man, it's just, it's so special. It's so sweet. Like it makes me wish we got to do it more uh, with our kids. And um, so I, all I wanted to say is if you're like me or you're like Zach, or you're like Jeremy, you're not on staff anymore and you now get to go and participate in one of those services. And, but you, but you know what it was like, like, if you think something kind, say something kind. So encourage mm-hmm. those yeah. tech and production staff who are still doing it. Make them like, mm-hmm. I remember what it's like in those days. You kind of, it's easy to forget why you're doing it because it's so stressful and it's so busy. Yeah. So uh, this is this is for me, man. I need to remember, send a text, send them a gift card, send, take them to coffee, just thank them for what they're doing because sure. they are creating some really special moments and experiences for families out there. And yeah. I, I think I, I learned one thing in this Christmas season just happens to be tied to it. Your kids, when you take them, I agree. Like a lot of churches have great kids programs and Elevation does. The e-kids side of things is amazing. But we have we decided um, to make it a priority to go as a family and we all sit in the worship experience together. So that includes me, Kim, our 11-year-old and our 6-year-old. Where Tucker, our 6-year-old, it's been a struggle with me because I'm just like, is he actually paying attention? What do you learn more? going in so here's a cool little story uh, a couple of weeks ago holly preached um it's actually the weekend before christmas and out on she's preaching she has a prop holly almost always has props and connects them in but she had this stump huge stump y'all like they brought it out on a pallet jack on the stage during the sermon um and she talked about just trees re-sprouting when you cut them off because the roots are still alive and one of the things she said was she was talking about Christmas trees. She's like, we think they're these great, amazing things, but really they're dead. Because when you cut a tree down, when you cut a Christmas tree, it's die. it dies immediately. And so the other day, I love Christmas and I love our tree. But when Christmas is over, it's time for that tree to come down because that thing's making a mess in my house. <laughs> and I hate it. <laughs> and I looked at the tree right before we were ready to take it down. And I said, yeah, it's time for this thing to go. It's dead. And Tucker, my six-year-old, point blank goes, Dad, that tree was dead when we cut it down. And it's like, That's awesome. Okay. 
we're going to keep doing what we're doing as a family. I don't care if people are judging me because every Sunday morning we walk in, they're like, is it, are they going to eat kids? And we're like, no, they're coming with us. They're going to keep coming with us because they do, they do pay attention. Cool. It does matter. I, I bring that up because I just know I, I don't want people to be listening to our stories about not working for church and how awesome Christmas was this year and be like, man, I wish I had a job or I wish my life could be like that mm-hmm. for sure. From our standpoint, your life can be that and still work for church. We didn't mm-hmm. do things. I would say I didn't do it correctly. And I'm I just bringing it up agree. because I want you to, be, I, I want people to be able to work for a church and enjoy Christmas season. Absolutely. You know? And so it's not a, it's not a matter of us boasting, which it could sound like it is, yeah, but it's not. I realize it's, it's, I do right now. Yeah. It's like, it's like, hey, we want you to be, uh, to have a great Christmas too. And, it, and it's possible. We just mm-hmm. didn't know how to do it. And we now would do things differently. So yeah. anyway, that's the reason why I bring it up. Is, and man, if, if any of y'all are listening and you're in a season where you're burnt out and you just want to talk to somebody that's a safe place, you can message any one of us and we right. will gladly call you because we have been there and we're a safe place and we're going to, we're, we're, I will talk to you on the phone as long as you need because people have done that to me. They have reached out and I'm just like, here's my number, call me because yep. there is no reason for you to, you're never alone. You might feel like you're alone in the, in your workplace because you don't feel like you can go invent because you're scared of your position or anything like that. There are people out there that have been through what you're going through and we not might not have the solution, but we can at least be a safe place for you to talk. Cause a lot of times just talking to someone will change your whole outlook on it and, and give you a safe place to vent. Yep. Absolutely. Love that. Um, Hey, so we do have an interview for you guys, even though thanks for enduring our long intro, but it is kind of like some things that are on our heart we want to talk about. Um, so, Rusty, you want to tell us uh, about the intro, the, our intro, the interview that we're about to jump into? Yeah, I think this is going to be a really good one for people. It's going to be one that you probably should bookmark and come back to every few, every year or so to listen to. But it's with our friend Tony Franson, who uh, some of you may know from uh, some other MXU content in the lighting world, but Tony is a... Um, a plus lighting designer, um, an engineer who uh, I don't remember how much he's, you know, he says of, the, of this in the interview, but I'm just going to go ahead and kind he, of, he said kind a of lot. Do it. It's so, impressive. He said a lot. Well, <laughs> let's just, I mean, he's awesome. I, I've worked with Tony for a while for a um, few years through touring and, and conference, passion conference and stuff, but he's one of the best out there. And he's also a great teacher and has a heart to help people learn and do a good job. So I think it's going to be really helpful for everyone. Yep. So we're ready to jump in. Let's do it. Hit play. Guys, I'm really excited about this conversation. I think it's such an important thing to talk about, especially as someone who is you know, very video and camera minded. Um, I know that half or more of the battle is how you light things. So I want to introduce my good friend, Tony Franson, um, to have a discussion about how to, how to light for video. And uh, Tony and I go way back, I think we probably first met in 2015 on the Outcry Tour, which was a fun ish time uh, uh, to be on the road and to, um, it's to very do a hectic. Tra- very hectic a traveling festival as I like to call it um, but I remember the way I, I just was very impressed by you then Tony and we've crossed paths throughout the years on different corporate gigs and passion conference and church things and so I'm excited to have you here why don't you uh, tell the good people a little bit about you and um, I mean how, how did you get to where you are today quick quick version oh man uh, programmer turned into lighting designer, 
turned into, you know, overall production, creative, I guess you could say, um, over 20, uh, I guess I'm going on 22 years now, started in the year 2000, came up in church. Uh, my parents had a ministry growing up, so I actually came up uh, traveling through churches about 30 weeks a year when I was a teenager. And so I kind of, that's, that was my life kind of growing up. And then, uh, we just along I, for the ride or were you like jumping in yeah. and doing things? Well, I was, oh yeah, totally helping it, helping and doing everything I could do. And, uh, definitely leaning on the production side. I loved my parents had a play. And so I was able to contribute and learn about lighting at a young age, you know? Um, and then I came out of that, we moved to Nashville in 99 and I started working in a lighting shop and doing tours and so a lot of my initial background was doing touring um and then but i always had that kind of background connected to church because of my folks you know and so every once in a while i get pulled in to do a church conference or youth conference one of my, one of my very first paid gigs was was doing a youth conference for a church in nashville uh and so you know that's kind of how i grew up uh, and then you know that obviously turned into a lot of other crazy opportunities out in the world um doing you know many different artists over the years living in nashville you end up crossing paths with all kinds of people and so i've ended up you know doing lighting for guys like keith urban and prince uh sarah Bareilles, a number of christian artists uh, uh stephen curse chapman jeremy camp and then all the worship crew you guys can imagine throughout cry we did you know everybody out there pretty much so it was yeah We've we've had a lot of we've I've had a lot of experience a very wide range of experience plus a ton of ton of corporate events as well so that kind of leans into the key lighting piece that we should probably be talking about today um, you know because you lean into those same those same disciplines whenever you do corporate events as you do whenever you're doing church church is like a weird mixture of concerts these days it's like a mixture of concerts and corporate event almost. And so you have to um, you have to kind of ha- understand how to do both of those things decently. That's that's part of why I think you're the perfect person for this conversation. As a you, I don't really know that you had that theatrical kind of background, but you ca- you have that experience where it's like how you light it is all about how it looks to the person in the room, right? The theatrical corporate kind of thing. But then yeah. you also have the concert experience, and you also have like the TV broadcast experience with. Um, with award shows where mm-hmm. it really matters more how it looks in camera. That's um, right. So I think you'll be able to speak to a lot of what people are, well, a lot of people, the questions that people have and the kind of what people are struggling with these days in church world. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'd be happy to kick off in any of those topics. You tell me where you want to begin and I'd be happy to jump into it. <laughs> I've, got, I've got so many, I got so many questions that, well, well I'm highly curious about Keith Urban, but you know, that's, he that's a different podcast yeah. i guess um, <laughs> but that's cool you it's crazy your experience you've had i feel like um yeah it's been a wild ride for you i guess you're still obviously you're still involved in doing contract work now is that is that what your your life yeah, looks like you know, even today it's weird i i kind of you know i moved i moved out of nashville about six years ago i moved to northwest arkansas to sort of like the only person um, to move out of nashville yeah, yeah, I know everybody was kind of going there and I it was right when the boom happened and I sort of um just you know set of circumstances kind of led me to wanting to be closer to family and I ended up um 
you know, meeting my wife here. Um, we now have two, we have two twin boys. They're three years old. And so I'm very, Mm. I'm like super focused on being a dad, you know, and just sort of having like a real normal life somewhat, you know, I still travel quite a bit, but like not as much as I, as I used to, I used to be gone a lot. Um, and so anyway, all that said, uh, I hadn't really been doing any music. And so back to your, back to your point, uh, what ended up happening this year, uh, at the beginning of 22 or end of 21, I guess you could say, everybody kind of started calling, like wanting to go back on the road. And a lot of guys during the pandemic exited our business and Mm. went to like, you know, go do TV in LA because that was a consistent thing you could do during the pandemic. Um, So like guys that would typically be getting the big touring work uh, just weren't available uh, because they were very committed to these other things. And so I started getting a lot of random calls that I didn't, that I don't, didn't used to get. And, um, and so it was very, very cool. Um, I ended up going and doing the One Republic tour this year. They were out all year long. I didn't tour with them. I just designed it and put it out on the road, did all the programming with actually Brian Landry from DC Pro. Um, and um, we had a we had a phenomenal year. The tour turned out really good, and they were out all year working, and it was really cool. But that was like a rare, a rare opportunity for me to kind of dive back into that world, and I hadn't done that in a while. So yeah. it was fun. That's cool. Uh, well, I've got a lot. I've got a long list of questions, but uh, I, I'm going to save my questions. I'd love to see what Rusty and Zach have from a question standpoint, and let's just see what we can put together. Because uh, I know, similar to uh, you know what has been said already, that at the end of the day, from I come from video infrastructure, switchers and routers and all that kind of stuff. At the end of the day, infrastructure is infrastructure. It doesn't create the picture; it just sends it along its way, right? So. Lighting is so important uh, to what that picture looks like. So, Zach Aresti, what 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 questions would you kick it off with? Well, I'd love first. The, you said something before we started. I, I want to see if you can say it again, rephrase it for the for everyone out there. Um, oftentimes, especially in churches, especially in 2020, right when nobody when, when nobody was in the building, like everybody decided we have to start broadcasting. So you get this edict as a tech director or as a production team that says, "Hey, we want to start." broadcasting where we want to start, you know, having cameras and iMac in the room. And so you first think, okay, then I should buy cameras. And what you said, you said something previously that was just really enlightening and really profound. And that that's just not, well, that's not the whole story, right? Yeah. So, you know, what I find in my experience with church and pastors, again, I grew up around pastors. That was my whole life. Right. So like, I kind of have this weird perspective sitting in the back room, having dinners with these guys and like understanding how they operate. And, um, my perspective on that is that pastors will often come up with their idea, which is never, I don't ever think it's really a bad idea, but they'll say, oh, it's time to implement this thing into our ministry. And they'll go to their team and say, we want, I want cameras next week. Can you make that happen? And they, and they kind of go, yeah, yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. I think we can make it happen. And then everybody scurries out and tries to figure it out as fast as they can. Um, and so they call a guy like Rusty and go, Rusty, what kind of cameras do I need to get? Um, there's a guy, there's a guy down in Houston named Dan Rubottom who used to be like the guy. He's he's still around. But um, they you know they'd call him at Lakewood Church there. They would say, Hey, what do we need for cameras? Mm-hmm. And um, and and he'd tell them. 
And then the next thing you know, they go out and buy these really nice cameras and they get the little, the cool switcher. And all of a sudden they realize they're not getting a great picture. And it's because they didn't realize they needed to have more than just great cameras. And um, it kind of starts in maybe even their audio is not good at that point either, because you, you need the production console to go with that as well. And so it's like, it becomes like a threefold piece that you got to start educating your, your leadership on, um, and saying, Hey, it's not just about getting great cameras, but it's also about getting, you know, a lighting package that can light the scene correctly so that we can have the correct color temperature so that we can have, you know, some lighting on the shoulders so that we can have a nice key a nice fill. Um, because the image won't look good if we're just filming our fluorescent lights over our stage. Um, it just won't work. So I think that's the piece. I, if I could throw that out to the, to the audience of this podcast is like, you have to spend a little time educating and helping your leadership understand what looks good and, and maybe even show them some examples, um, of things and get them to start feeding back about what they like. Yeah. Cause that's another big piece is just figuring out what that style will look like. Um, and there's lots of different styles out there, you know, TV lighting in general is sort of, it's sort of this, um, it can be very canned. There's, there's a formula to it. There's a way to do it. Um, but then I've also seen that get completely broken and still look cool. So there's different ways to attack what you're trying to do if you will spend a little time educating yourself on different ways to do it, I guess is the best way to say it. So you mentioned some terms. Uh, there's yeah. this key and fill. Now yeah. in switcher world, there's key and fill. That's a different yeah. key and fill. Different so, key and fill. Yeah. Right. So, uh, all right. So let's just break it down to like these little chunks. Remember this is probably video and maybe some audio people and a very few amount of lighting people listening to this podcast. Cool. So, cool, cool, cool. uh, so what is key and what is fill? Why, why are those important? So a key light could be a, it, it's going to be your primary source that's going to light your skin. So typically I'll give you a couple of like key examples of, of maybe good, good practices, I guess is the best word. Sure. Yeah. Great. Um, you're going to want to put your key light at probably no more than 22 to 24 degrees. If you're looking straight out off your nose, you don't want to have the light coming in at an angle any greater than about 24 degrees. So that's Why? the first, that's like the first tip. Uh, what happens if you get it too high and it's coming down on your forehead and then it's mm -hmm. clipping your nose and it's creating shadows underneath your eye sockets. So yeah. the sort of goal for a good key light for videos to get it down in front of your face to where it's still coming in at an angle, allowing it to fall off in the background of the shot. But, um, but it's lighting your face in a very clean, uh, non-shadowy way, I guess is the best way to say yeah, it. Yeah. Like I always say raccoon eyes. I've seen somebody That's right. have, like raccoon eyes. Okay. But like a little devil's advocate here is I could see the pastor saying, I don't want the light in my eyes. I want to be able to see, but that's another education thing, right? It's like, well, we can, the higher we put it, the older you're going to look, right? The older, <laughs> yeah, the worse you're going to look on eyes, television. The worse. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it used to be back in the. 80s and 90s when video was really beginning to be a thing they would throw 80 to 120 foot candles at the stage so that's a that's a measurement wow. of how much light and that's extremely bright 
And there'd be all these large Fresnels because all those guys that did TV back then, in order to make those camera sensors work well, they knew they had to throw a ton of light at it. And so they would just dump the stage in light. So you really couldn't see the audience unless the audience was lit in a similar fashion, which is which would mean you got to turn all these Fresnels around and blast the audience too so that they are lit up as bright so the person on stage doesn't feel awkward or uncomfortable. So that's kind of where we got into you know, all this crazy lighting, uh, all these large theatrical fixtures back in the day. And now we can get away with levels that are much darker, um, because the sensors are so much better. Um, this week I was at central, uh, central church in Las Vegas, uh, with my friend, Adam Taylor, my new friend, Adam Taylor, actually, we just met this week and hit it off like brothers. I'm not even kidding. Like just instant brothers. And, uh, we get out there and, and I'm starting to look at their key lighting and I'm like, man, it's so dark. And I realized they're shooting everything on reds and those red cameras can just take anything. Like you don't have to barely put any light on stage at all. And they just look amazing. And so I was very impressed by that, but also then I realized, oh, that opens up a whole nother window of opportunity where you can light it completely differently. And it's not obtrusive to the person on stage at all because it's so dim, you know. Um, so we're able to kind of get into this world of dimness that we've never really been in before just due to the sensor being able to take it. Um, so that's very, very cool. Yeah. I didn't even think of, I didn't I didn't even think about the sensor like camera technology. Yeah, low light technology has been is dr- drove the um, principles of lighting. And from a brightness oh, yeah, for such a long time. I didn't even think about that. I mean, so here's the thing, right? If you underlight your scene, what is going to happen to the camera? You're going to have to iris up. Yep. So irising up causes grain. Next thing you know, you have a crappy image. You know, it's just like, it's like one after yep. the other. And so as these sensors are getting um, better, I don't know what they're doing to them. I, I'm not a camera guy, but I know enough to be dangerous. But um, as the sensors are getting, I guess, larger, is maybe the mm-hmm. thing it's part of it so they're allowing more light in man all of a sudden you can take so much light away and you can light it with such minimal amount now you're just kind of really concentrating on filling and making sure that you know everybody's lit evenly but you're not having to worry so much about how bright it is which is really cool so the takeaway on that would be okay so make sure if if you're getting a dim image or getting an image that you're not happy with Make sure you understand your camera sensor and, and so play around with uh, your camera and brightness levels and iris levels to find right. the adjustment that find that magical spot that is like, okay, this is what That's my right. camera likes. And so in church, there's not really this magical number I can throw out like, hey, you need to be at this foot candle level. It really is all about what the camera likes. Mm. And so you need to spend a little time experimenting. I always tell whenever we're starting out on a new set of cameras, I say, hey, put it at um, like an F4, whatever the equivalent to an F4 on your system is. So it's kind of a medium aperture, I guess you could say. And then let's turn the light up and see what it does in that setting. And when it starts to look good and the image starts to look like it's um, well-balanced and you're not having to gain up to get the clarity that you need. Right. Um, then that's probably where the light needs to be. 
you need to know on your camera what your native ISO or native gain is. And that's that's right. Yeah. 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 That's great, Rusty. And that, exactly. Yeah. If you can kind of understand where the beginning point is, I think that's the first thing to do. And then get all the cameras set the same because then you're going to start seeing what those angles look like with different layers of lighting coming in. And often what looks good down the center may not look as good on the side. So you're going to need to start thinking about how to fill from the side a little bit as well. So it's a great segue to what is the word? What's fill? (laughs) So key lighting, we just talked about a decent angle. We talked about how it shouldn't be too high. Um, And then obviously it needs to have a level. It needs to be able to output the amount of light that you need for your sensor. Okay. So that's key lighting. Fill lighting is going to be your kind of soft um, secondary light, if that makes sense. Um, if we're talking about sort of three-point lighting, which we we tend to lean into in church most of the time. It's almost always some sort of three-point setup. But you're going to have your key. I often don't like the key to be completely straight and flat towards the nose. I like it to be slightly off-center. Um, I typically go with, depending on what we're doing, 15 to 30 degrees off center and kind of coming in at just the right angle. And then your fill could be coming from opposite of that. And it could be, or it could be a little bit further off to one side if you wanted it to be. Um, And it can be, and it can be a a good bit darker uh, is fine. Now, tricky scenario. And I actually walked into this this week at Central. Central is a and lots of churches have this configuration, so I'll just throw it out there. But Central is a very wide, uh, probably a little over 180 degree room. Um, it's shaped like a bowl. And so if you do that kind of off-center method, um, this side of the room is going to look bright and crisp mm-hmm. to the eye. And the fill side of the room is not going to look as good. So that may not be the best way to light it for the room may look decent on camera, but in the room, that person's going to look dark if you're sitting on the one side of the room that's got the dark light. So you may think about that, um, you know, if you're kind of planning your scenario and you've got a wide room. Um, so what would you do there? You just kind of treat it mostly like a wide key and key yeah, both sides? Basically? I would treat it, yeah, I would treat it more like a wide key. And then if we're doing specials like um, for music or for... Um, you know, say a video, a video event where it's mainly Mm -hmm. video focused, then you can go back to your more, um, you know, your main and secondary kind of situation. But, uh, if you're doing, if you're doing like Sunday to Sunday and you want the experience to be good for the people in the room, I'd probably focus on just making sure everybody's lit well, um, and that it's friendly to the camera. Um, it depends on what your ministry wants too. I mean, those are all like conversations you can have yep. internally. Totally. And I would recommend showing everybody like, Hey, this is what it'll look like here. And this is what it'll look like here. What do we feel? How do we feel? What are we, what are we leaning towards? So, so what I hear, hear you saying from a feel standpoint is, um, whenever I say the word feel, that's my like Southern accent. It's like feel, 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 feel. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> in Nashville, uh, you know, they used to talk about drummers having good feel. Yeah, that's and right. Be like, what? What are you talking about? What is that word? <laughs> that's right. That's right. I own it. You know, hey, embrace it. I'm from the south. Um, but uh, it, when you're describing it, what comes to my mind is like, okay, so uh, we're not shooting a 2D thing. We're not shooting a, a um, flat. We're we're 3D objects. So 
uh, if you start seeing like around the ears be darker, so yeah. the, the fill light is what is helping bring the light around the face instead of just front in front of the plate. Is that, is that's, that what yeah. I hear you saying? That's a, that's a great, that's a great way to explain it. Yeah. That's okay. that you nailed it, Jeremy. Cool. So when you see your image and you're like, okay, it's darker on the sides, you, then you need to start figuring out Thinking how to get about light. Fill. Yeah. 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 That's okay. right. And then, and then the last piece, well, there's two more pieces that we could talk about, I guess the lat, the next piece would be, um, you know, good backlight. And so depending on what's behind the performer or the primary subject, um, you're going to want to make sure that there's some light coming in. Uh, some people call it rim light, but all it is is it's just going to cut their shoulders out. So you're just kind of trying to backlight them enough to where you have a little bit of a glow on the shoulders and a little glow in the hair. Or if your or if your lead is bald, you want to be kind of careful with that because that can get really shiny. Mm-hmm. So just depends on how you want to light it. But yeah, you want to have something to pop them out of the scene. Right. Create separation. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Good separation. I actually showed that to some people at Central this week. Um, they had a B stage out in the middle of the room and we we're trying to figure out how to backlight it because the design didn't really have any specific lights for that stage. We had to use something from the main stage, which is quite a long throw out there. And so I, I kind of showed the video director there. I was like, hey, take a look at this. If I like bring these in and just, just the right amount, look how it pops them out of the video wall. So what happens is, is in, you know, with a lot of video backgrounds these days, it starts looking really flat, really fast. And so if you really want to get a lot of dimension in your shot, that backlight will actually pop the, 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 the presenter out of the shot quite a bit and allow the background to be the background. No, I see a lot of places that when, when you're in front of LED wall, which I have lots of questions about LED walls later. Yeah. But you have talent in front of LED wall and you don't have good backlight separation. It feels like a green screen. That's right. And it looks fake. Yeah. And so we, don't, we, mm-hmm. we want to try and avoid that if we can. That's exactly right. And so adding a nice, and I always kind of do the method of like, so say, so, you know, my typical method with good cam, like a good studio style camera, um, a Sony or something like that, Panasonic, um, we're typically trying to hit about 40 foot candles on our key light. And we're trying to typically hit, I can even go to the 60, maybe even 70 or 80, depending on the shot for backlight. So it's almost like a two to one method mm. or at least, or at least a quarter more or a half more. Um, so just, just depends on how you want to do it, but I like a little bit hotter backlight cause it just, it just makes everything glow and feel really nice. Same color so, as your key. Um, so that just, that's, a, that's another like to taste thing. So if I'm doing my key at like 4,400 uh, Kelvin, then I might do my back at like 5k. Um, and so you, and you can play with that. You can do them both the same and it looks fine. But if you, if you do decide to cool it down a little bit, it looks really nice as well. So, and again, those are all to taste things you can play around with. Zach, I'm curious, like I was just wondering Zach's elevation experience. Like what were you guys, what was um, a goal for you guys from a lighting key lighting standpoint during, during the message? Do you guys play around with different things? Yeah. I mean, they constantly tweaked it. And to be honest with you, I don't even remember what Kelvin they actually finally landed on um, because ultimately they locked in the front wash and actually last week or two weeks ago, they, I, I can't remember what fixtures, but they finally at Blakeney, we were all uh, conventionals, 
with Fresnels and did it for years. And when we moved to Ballantine, we launched Ballantine uh, with Viper DLX washes, which is an arc fixture. And mm-hmm. with that, we dealt with over time, like the lamps would start to change, color temperature start to change, constantly have to tweak that. And, and it was a great expense because with that and how critical that was to be consistent, we relamped all of the lights at the same time. Didn't matter if a lamp had mm-hmm. gone out, we just relamped them all. Well, now they've swapped them over to a new LED fixture. And I knew that they had done it. And uh, I was in there Sunday morning and texted Andy. And I was like, I can totally tell you I'll swap these lights out because mm-hmm. I have never seen in, in the room in person um, or even on the LED walls in the room, uh, it looked that good in all of my years even being there. So they, they took time and, and spent a great deal of time to get it dialed in. And it does take time and it does – uh, you you have to have the right tools and those tools are worth investing because mm-hmm. one of the things that I was going to ask you, Tony, is I hate when it looks really good on camera, but if you go look at it in person, they're green. And I think so many yeah. people overlook, uh, like, you know, a good video engineer can take a good camera or even a bad camera and they can, and they can paint that person up and make them look good. But I personally hate, even though for all my years of elevation, I looked at everything on a monitor. I was in a room and it was just on a monitor, but like we, they did a really good job of making sure the person didn't look green. And I think that's so many things you go to events or if you watch other stuff and it's like in the room, I, I think that it goes back to your conversation of it. Just, you have to have this happy balance in between of it. Mm. Yeah, no, you're a hundred percent right. I mean, there's 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 three pieces of, and i mean now with video walls it gets even more complex um but the main piece of it is you know you need to invest if you're going to do spend some time coloring your room there's two ways to do it you can hire somebody to come in and help you get it dialed in or you can go out and invest in the tools and i think if you're doing it week to week you should probably do a combination of both you should probably have somebody come help you get in the right place to start and then you should probably um, then you should probably have the tool to keep, to keep it consistent, to double check it. Um, and once you kind of know what your settings need to be for your room, you should be able to take a meter and go, okay, this is the color I need to be hitting every, every single week. Um, and you should get up there and check it periodically. Uh, I don't think you need to check it every week, but you know, but especially if it's an led source, it's probably not going to change a lot, but, um, I would say ch- check it at least once a month, probably, and just make sure you're still floating in the same range. Do you feel like it's critical for the video engineer and the lighting designer to have a, a hand-in-hand relationship? Because I think that a lot of 100%. days, um, you know, if the video engineer can try and try and try, I feel like the the lighting designer or programmer needs to be open. Um, but I also think that both need to be very educated so that they can have a, a conversation versus the video guy coming to front of the house and like, hey, I don't like the way this looks. And it's like, well, what, what don't you like about it? What's not working versus I feel like that I've seen that a lot uh, in the past, even at Elevation with some of the newer um, people that were on the video side of things and just like, well, I don't like it. And it's just like, well, the lighting guy will punch you in the face right now uh, <laughs> because you're not giving any description or any help on how to, to fix this. So it's good to, for you to say that you feel like that does go hand in hand. Yeah. So I, I learned this a long time ago and it, you know, I cut my, I cut my teeth lighting um, sort of a weird thing to cut your teeth on, but I cut my teeth lighting women of faith which was a bunch of various skin tones 
And it was all for iMag. And pretty much the whole show is about the iMag shot because most of the audience watches the screen. And so we were on, you know, SD cameras uh, when I started. And so we were having to dump buckets of light on this thing. And um, it wasn't like it is now. And the very first thing I learned was to get a comm connection to the engineer. Um, And the the director, the show director, show designer kind of talked to me about like, hey, your lines of communication on the show are a little different. You're not talking to spot ops. You need to be talking to the video engineer through the whole show. And I was like, oh, okay, that's new. And I'm like, what questions do I need to be asking him? <laughs> like, I don't know what I'm doing. I, I throw ugly white light on people in concerts. I don't know. And so I had to really learn my place there. And that, that time spent um, in doing that event, even though that event was maybe not what I always wanted to do for the rest of my life, it was, it was one of those events where I was like, man, I am learning so much about the nuances of how to get these faces looking good on that screen. And so I think that was a huge point of my career where it began to turn towards not just doing production designs and uh, doing concerts, but actually being able to light for television. Um, and that was the start of it. And then I, I progressed into other areas and that helped me grow even more. So um, yeah, the video engineer is the most important person. I always ask for a line to the director and to the video engineer as soon as I get on a team. That's usually the very first thing I, that I connect to. And what are you guys talking about? Like you, what, what are those things that you're talking with those, the engineer and video director about? Um, so we start out with the color conversation typically, um, early on in the advance, we start talking about when are we going to be, uh, allotting time for white balance. That's like a really big piece. Um, and so when you come into an event, like as I do quite often hot, and you're coming in from another event typically, and you're doing this one, one time and one time only, and you need to nail it. Well, we're trying to get everybody on the same page early on in advance. And so you start talking about how do we align once we get on site, where's that hour that we can sit down and look at everything together. Um, I'll do my work, you do your work, and then we'll take an hour where we look at everything on screen and we actually get what we want, or maybe two hours, you know, where you can like spend some time really dialing it in. Um, So that's the first thing. Second thing on calm is you're talking about, Hey, how are levels? How are things feeling? Are you seeing any dark spots? How can I adjust that? How can I make this look better? Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Where, you know, you're, if you don't have a, for me, I get in situations sometimes where there's younger engineers. And so you're having to coach them into like, Hey, I need you to make sure everything's set to the same, Uh, you know, F stop and let's start there. Like, you know, giving them good starting points, those types of things. I remember uh, as a few passions ago, um, some of the conversations that we had, Tony, was for some of the moments, like some of those more special moments, I wanted to have a certain kind of look. So I wanted to shoot the dark side of the face. So we, mm-hmm. we would have talked about like, hey, I want the key to come. We want, you know, in my mind, the way I see this look is I want to shoot more of the fill side. And so that would help you understand where to bring that intensity from, which side of it, mm-hmm. um, which is difficult shooting in the round, but you know. It was yeah. great to have that communication with you to talk through it. And then yeah, another one I feel like is so common these days is back to the whole color temperature is what everybody wants the content 
that they spend so much time and money on on the media server side that's on the LED wall as the backdrop to look the right color. Mm-hmm. But also we want the skin tone to look the right color. And so just so much back and forth of, okay, well, how, where do we land this whole key light color temperature so that we can white balance the camera so that the LED content and the lighting content all looks like it's supposed to. Um, yeah. I haven't found a good answer to that yet. I don't know. Maybe. Any well, it's, on that? It, again, this goes back to the, the sort of the formula that unfortunately it's, um, it is just that it's just a formula and it just sort of works every time. And again, I wish I was a little more experimental at times because you end up getting with the, you get it, you get a similar look every event you do, you know, cause you mm-hmm. just, you do the formula. Um, but what works for me is to make the color in the background look right. We want to kind of think about like, does blue look blue? Does red look red? Does green look green? We want to make sure all that the sub primaries look good. Cyan, magenta, yellow. They're all kind of reading on camera the same as they do in the room. Okay. So the first thing we typically do is we get the color temperature for the face, right? We can do that. Get the white balance. Correct. I've found 4,400 is a pretty good place to be. Um, it's friendly. It's just warm enough that it's friendly to, um, dark skin tones as well as light skin tones. So it's just sort of this good middle ground. Um, cameras seem to really like it most of the time. But your camera wouldn't be at 4,400, right? No, the camera is not at 4,400. Okay. So camera, I I don't know. You can maybe answer this for me. I feel like it's different on every camera, but you're going to get your camera to where white is looking white. So whatever that point is. Um, And then once you hit that, I think it often guys end up telling me it's like 5K or 5,600. I think it, it leans blue, I believe. In order to make the war- the white the white look correct, I think. That said, all of a sudden, all the colors in the background begin to look correct. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a two part deal. You end up putting up a. I often ask for a chip chart so that yep. you know we can all look at what what gray tones look like all the way through color, and then um, once all the cameras have been sort of matched to what we all think is white. Um, often that ends up being pretty nice. Now, the one downside to 4,400 and you got to be very careful of is that it can look kind of green. And so you have to, you have to couple with, if you're using a moving light as your source, um, you have to couple with that, uh, touch of magenta. We call it minus green is sometimes what it's called. Um, but an eighth minus or a quarter minus green. Well, uh, and or just rolling the magenta wheel in on a moving light will just take enough of that green out to where it starts to look correct. Are you talking about green on the camera side or green like you see it with your native eyes? You can see room? it both. Yeah, you can okay. see it in both places. It'll look green on camera. It'll look slightly green in the room. Got it. And so you just add a little pink to that magenta, and all of a sudden it begins to sort of balance back out white again, which is really nice. Yeah, that's helpful. I think um, some like pitfalls that I think that I have, you know, that I've done and learned and people do is oftentimes when it comes to the camera side, you get the, someone, you know, the lighting designer gets the key light up. This is what we're going to do. Call it 4400. And then someone goes up and throws a piece of white poster board on screen on stage. Everybody mm-hmm. points the cameras at it and they hit the auto white balance button. 
Well, what usually happens there is that it's going to lock it in at like 4,400K on your color texture yeah. of your camera. But yeah. then everyone on stage, all your skin tone looks pretty pale. Right. And so I think what you said is right. You want to generally the camera lands more in the five to 5,600K. Yeah. So then the, the light, the key light warms up the camera shot, which is generally pleasing to most people. Mm -hmm. Um, mm -hmm. But because the camera is at a native, you know, five to five point six k, your all of your light fixtures will look more accurate because the white point of those is more like fifty six or sixty five hundred, right? Yeah, and that's the LED right. wall that's is right. similar. Yeah, um, yeah, that's right. So let's let's do this then, Rusty, because there's going to be a lot of people listening to this podcast that don't know how to do anything other than hit that auto white balance button. So you just hit them with a brick wall of like, all right, I'm doing it wrong how can I make it better with very limited tools? Cause you know, I mean, chip charts are not cheap, even the small right. ones, you know, and there's That's probably right. a lot of churches that aren't going to be able to get a chip chart. They're going to get that, that piece of white poster card. I mean, I can't mm -hmm. tell you the amount of times I've done it to get totally. close. So like what in your perspective, wh where does someone go to like, we've established that the lighting color temperature and the video color temperature actually shouldn't be the same. Um, how do we get to that? Yeah, it's camera specific for sure. So like I, one of the good things about the new newer cinematic stuff, larger sensor camcorders, is they come more from the DP, you know, film world. And so you can literally just dial in whatever Kelvin you want. You just go to the white balance settings and you say, I want it to be at 52, 52, 50 Kelvin, whatever you want to do. And then you can also do it a, a green magenta tint shift as a secondary feature of that. So um, if the light can't add some or take some green out, you can do it in camera. Mm -hmm. uh, if you have more of a broadcast camera, some of them will allow you to to specify what K, what color temperature you want the white point to be. I know some Sony's will allow you to do it, um, but there's some others that I've that I've I found it's very difficult. So you have to basically white balance it, auto white balance it, and then you you have to paint it. You don't want to cool it off, add some blues in your whites so that the um, key light becomes warmer. So you know what I, I was thinking as you guys were diving into that, I was like, man, we should actually just do a podcast on painting cameras. That's I mean, we yeah. just, because like at the end of the day, it's having this lighting conversation brings up the fact that like uh, there's so much more to know in our camera science than probably what we do know. And so mm -hmm. let's put that on the list. Let's, <laughs> I can't say when it's going to happen, but we're going to find somebody Um and we're gonna we're gonna interview them, and we're gonna say like, here's how to uh, go from uh, you know from nothing to to 100 in how to paint cameras. So we'll see. But yeah, we should probably dive into that on a different different podcast. You know, sure. I, I'll I'll tag on to that. There was a lighting designer that told me years ago. He said he said uh, I want you to know there's two people who can shade the event. Um, the engineer can shade it or the lighting director can shade mm. it. And you just need to decide who's going to be the one that shades it. That's good. That's so good. And good. Otherwise you're chasing each other. <laughs> right. Exactly. And so I began to realize I don't want to be the one to sit there and shade it all day. That's, I feel like I should get it right the first time. And so, right. um, so I spent, I started getting really, really specific about getting the light right so that the shader could then do his job you know? Yep. Um, so I got a different question, kind of less maybe technical and more like um, helpful in the conversations like it, I've had over the last 15 years working at church is like, 
how do you from an artist standpoint you are an artist how do you manage the uh, the tension between hey what you want the art side to look like in the room versus like hey we got to get this like very pure and perfect uh picture every time uh there I, I just seem to always be conversations of like well what do you want to s- give up or sacrifice or maybe that was not even the right question but maybe you under you understand what i'm asking it's like how do you manage this artistic experience that is lighting design with what can be a very engineering nuts and bolts ones and zeros focus of what the broadcast looks like what's your thoughts There's going to be a lot of people that disagree with this, but I, (laughs) I think, no, it's not controversy. I just think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a different approach. I think that if you light it well for camera, first of all, if there are cameras in the room, it needs to be lit for cameras. Mm. A. Okay. B. If you light it well for camera, um, the experience is going to be good in both places. I can't tell you, and I know this from experience because I've sat, I've sat in the room for like stellar awards or dove awards or Caleb's or all the different ones that we do that are broadcast nationally. We, we, it looks awesome in the room. It does not look bad. Mm. Like mm. I'll sit there and look at it and go, wow, this is, and I'm not doing all the lighting on that. So I'm not tooting my own horn. That's just not like, I'm looking at what the guys are doing and there I'm going, this looks fantastic. Um, and it's, it's because, um, it's, it's, um, it's all under control. I don't think anything really rides at a hundred on those shows. I think you're, I think you're sitting with everything very much tuned in levels wise to where it's not, you know, doing crazy things to the camera. Um, but you're also like, once you kind of get everybody's eyes in the room tuned to what looks good on camera, uh, it takes them all a minute to get in the room and like their eyes to adjust. And once their eyes adjust, they realize, Oh, this is a beautiful looking picture period. Mm. Mm. And the cameras are just getting to capture that. Yep. Um, but I think, you know, just getting the picture to look good in the room and on screen, I think once you nail that kind of piece, it looks good everywhere. Got it. So that's so cool. you're talking about in that moment. There, there is none of the conversations of like, hey, well, well, what do you want? Do you do you want to prioritize the room versus broadcast? Like you're saying, once you get it right, there is you're not having to have those conversations. No, I mean the only conversation that goes outside of that is, can we do blackouts? Oh, um, you know, for a live event. Obviously, a lot of people want to be able to black out the room and, you know, have that theatrical moment where, where the lights right. go out. For TV, we don't do that. Like, that's right. just not, that's not even in the cards at all. Mm. What about like, um, one of the ones I feel like I hear all the time is, you know, in the room, I want the LED wall to be so blinding. Mm-hmm. You know, let's call it an upstage LED wall. That is the backlight. It is the background, right? But on camera, like, I need, I want that thing at like 7%. Yeah. Depending yeah, on right. how bright my key light is. Yeah, I do ser- like I do servers a lot for like some of these awards events and I end up sitting the wall at 15% typically. Um depending on the product, you know, there's different yeah. products that can do different things, but like the general is about 15% and then we take the top edge off with the grandmaster and the server. So then there's not even really a, it's not even really a full 15. Mm. Um and and here's the thing 
Once well, how are you, once are you getting the, that number because of your key light intensity um, or like how are yeah, you Yeah, exactly. Number? That's right. That's right. So like, you know, you, you kind of stick to the formula like I talked about earlier and then you set the background where it needs to be. And I take the top edge out on purpose. So I have a little top edge to bring back mm-hmm. if I need to, because sometimes certain pieces of content are very dark. And so I like to be able to just go, oh, that's a dark blue piece of content. I'm going to push that now. And I have that, I have that headroom. Um, all that said, uh, kind of coming back to the point here, um, once you get all your levels under control and everything's in balance, um, the screen doesn't look dark. It looks right. Looks appropriate. (laughs) It looks appropriate. Right. And so that's, that's kind of the thing is like, and I try to tell young lighting designers this, this very statement every single time, there's 99 other values between zero and a hundred. If you can understand what the levels need to be versus just turning everything on to full, you can, um, you can compose the picture in a much more um, clean way, if that makes sense. So I think it's all about painting the picture. And then once you got the picture kind of like imbalanced and exposed correctly, mm-hmm. exposure is the biggest word, I think. It's just making sure all the lights are exposing correctly on the camera. The, the LED wall is exposing on the camera correctly. Once you get all those pieces exposed right, all of a sudden, it looks great in the room. looks great on camera. You don't got to worry about overdriving the wall because you can't. Um, you know, you've set it all correctly. Now there's a million, there's a, there's a, there's a, come spend a day with me. I'll show you. It's it's (laughs) it's the whole thing. (laughs) Um, I think another great, uh, so follow up podcast for you, Tony, is that we got it. We have to have you on talk media servers and led walls. I feel like that's, we've only scratched the surface and it's like, uh, we could do another whole hour just on that, which I feel like would be really fun to do. So, Make Can sure you speak about real quick? Haze. Haze. Yeah. I love ask Haze. about that. Yeah. I love Haze. Yeah. I want to see the beams, but there's a point from a camera person. There's a point at which Haze muddies up my image. That's right. Too much. Mm-hmm. And that, and that's correct. And so you have to, you have to, you know, uh, uh, placement becomes a really big thing. Um, I'll take you back. Now, this is just something I did, but I, I've learned, uh, this is a learned behavior. Um, from other guys that have showed me the way, which is get the hazers away from the stage. That's the first thing. Mm. Everybody always mm-hmm. wants to put the hazers directly stage right and stage left to where they're blowing into the image, right? Mm-hmm. Um, my goal with hazers is to get a big fan on them and to get them as far out and away. So like when we did Passion 2020, Rusty, you know, I had tons of far, I had, uh, I don't know, I wanted, I want to say we had like, between 20 and 30 foggers on that show the bunch and just because of the vastness I mean, of the it's, room yeah, I'm about to yeah. Say it's a big room <laughs> yeah i mean it's it just is huge but you know we had all that ability but none of it was right up on deck you know you put it all over the place i had them out in the room we had reserved areas behind the stage um you know and it takes a little longer to fill but then you're not dealing with that inconsistent cloudy look Mm-hmm. You've got that nice, um, you got that nice soft look and then you don't want to overdrive that look. Once you find out what that kind of magic is to make all the beams pop, but not muddy up the cameras, then you hang there. That's your spot until you want that effect. I mean, that mm-hmm. with certain music, you want it to look cloudy and kind of 
kind of gritty if, if, if that makes sense sure but um but for speaking talking heads pieces you just want the beams to pop just enough to where they're in the image and like that's it so if we're seeing a cloud we're doing it wrong yeah i'd say if you're for seeing a cloud part. you're doing it wrong and you're also okay. you're muddying up the image so the moment you introduce all that white haze into the room you're adding gray think of adding gray right. into your image mm. blacks will not look black anymore that's right. That's right. So you're, you're, you're adding your light for your key light and your backlight and all that's being lit and it's causing gray. So you just have to be very, very careful about how much you allow that into your picture. I learned a lot about that on Ted, actually a number of Ted 2017 at a Ted, Ted women's event. And we had a really amazing DP that came in and he coached me through a number of those things. And, um, man, I, I feel like we ended up with a really beautiful picture that year, which was really cool. That's great. Mm. Be teachable. Yeah. I like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we don't. I mean, this whole this whole business is just not being the guy with all the answers. I know right. a lot because I've done a lot and I've been around a lot of people who know what they're doing. But I still have tons to learn, and I still walk into every job going, "Man, how can I learn to be better today?" Um, I would love to spend more time with film guys that are that are doing film lighting because that's a whole art in and of itself that I feel like I've never even tapped into. You know? Yeah. So. That's great. Um, well, I'm, I'm really thankful for this conversation. I um, always like giving uh, our guests like one opportunity. Like, so if you could say like, you know, this, who, who knows who listens to this, but, or if it's, or if it's just three of us, whatever. But like, if you could just give us one nugget of advice, like kind of summarize or like even a different topic, like what's the one thing uh, you would want to tell this audience about lighting for video in general, what's your one thing you would like to leave everybody with? Lighting for video? Or, or anything, really. I mean, whatever's on your mind. I don't know. I mean, I think I think just try to make it consistent. Make it a consistent experience. Make it easy for the people who are operating. Understand the people on your team and what they can achieve. Um, there are so many churches that have great cameras but don't have good operators mm. and so that's a big piece like don't understand uh, a, a limited operator or an operator with less skill is not going to be able to nail focus in dim light mm. so the best thing to do in a situation like that is to adjust for the operator so that mm. you can get a consistent image um, I think it's more important for things to be in focus and to look crisp than it is to nail the most artistic shot in the world. That's great. Um, so, you know, hang with your fundamentals and, um, and understand who your operators are. I love that. It's amazing. Um, well, Rusty, I'll let you uh, have the final word. So, Man, that was great. I think there's so much to walk away with to, uh, to get better this week, honestly, for me too. So, Tony, man, I appreciate it so much. Thanks for enlightening us all. Yeah, very, intended. very, very glad to be here. And thank you guys for having me. I love getting to be a part of these. Yeah. It was fun. It was, fun. It was really fun. And uh, we're going to have you on again. So I hope so. That. I hope so. Yeah. More to come. Yeah. That's right. Okay, guys. All right. See you. Thanks. If you've seen or heard anything from MXU, you've probably gathered that we care deeply about helping you create healthy teams. 
We know that you have a lot on your shoulders, but you don't have to bear it all alone. MXU can come alongside you to help you recruit volunteers and bring them on board in a healthy way. With our platforms, you gain back valuable ministry time as we take over the bulk of training from entry level to advanced concepts in audio, video, and lighting. Keeping your team healthy should be a priority at any church, and a healthier team means a healthier you. Start building a healthy team at getmxu.com.